Welcome to Screams and Streams, the podcast that looks at the best and worst horror movies as rated on Rotten Tomatoes from 1970 onwards. I'm your host, Mike Karen, and with me is my co-host, Chad Campbell. And joining us today is our special guest, Mark Watson. Before we get to today's film, we'd like to invite you to check us out on Instagram. Our handle is at ScreamStreamPod. Also, be sure to check out our website, www.screamsandstreams.com, for more information about all of the films we are looking at. Just a warning, in the podcast, we do jump around in the plot, and we may end up spoiling the film if you haven't had the chance to see it yet. If you don't like spoilers, we recommend that you stop listening now, check out the film, and then rejoin us after for our discussion. Today, we are looking at William Friedkin's 1973 film, The Exorcist. It scored 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, so let's get into it. Chad, do you want to give us the plot summary? Sure. A visiting actress in Washington, D.C. notices dramatic and dangerous changes in the behavior and physical makeup of her 12-year-old daughter. Meanwhile, a young priest at nearby Georgetown University begins to doubt his faith while dealing with his mother's terminal sickness and a frail elderly priest recognizes the necessity for a showdown with an old demonic enemy. Great. Thank you. Do you want to give us your first impressions of the film? Yeah. So this is about the fourth time I've seen The Exorcist. I watched it first when I was 14 years old, and it scared the living crap out of me. I watched it again with a buddy when I was well into high school, probably last year of high school, and we fell asleep in the first 45 minutes and then woke up to the actual possession. And then I watched it again later on one Halloween and then for this. Definitely, if I were to give my first impression when I was 14, because I still remember it, it kept me up for two weeks. It was just the scariest thing that I had seen at that time. I was kind of getting into horror movies when I was that age, so I was watching a lot of cheesy 80s slasher flicks and things like this, and this is the first one that really had a story that dealt with characterization, symbolism, and possession. So it was an amazing movie. It really kind of shaped my way in how I thought horror movies should have been built or shot. So I loved the movie. This last time watching it, because I had seen it, obviously did not carry the same impact. But the interesting thing was, because we watched the unedited cut, I was able to see things this time that I hadn't seen before, and I really liked them. Oh, was this your first time watching the extended cut? Yeah, yeah. So I liked that. Um, for instance, the crab walk that was in there or the, uh, spider walk. I really enjoyed that. The priest scene, uh, where they're talking about the possession up at the top of the, of the stairs. I really enjoyed that as well. So anything they cut, I actually liked it in the film. Okay. Mark, what did you think of it? My story is fairly similar. I came to it. I was, would have been 12 or 13. I think the first time that I had seen this and I had already had some kind of history with watching some of the classic 80s horror movies. And this was something that was so completely different. Right. And I remember very clearly I was out with some friends at a local small independent video store. And it was about a week before Halloween. And somebody is like, well, we need to watch The Exorcist. (laughs) And I had gone into it thinking like I had never found the 80s, like Nightmare on Elm Streets and Friday the 13th, I'd never found them particularly scary. Right, yeah. Jump scares are cheap to me. And I was going into it with that same mentality. And when I watched it, I realized that this was so much more than that. And I wasn't necessarily 
taken aback by like it it maybe didn't linger with me but as years went on i realized where its proper place in the pantheon of the horror genre is and revisited it again later in high school and then on and off like it'd be on tv it was on tv last night (laughs) and just watching it again and i had already watched it because I knew we were going to talk about it here. And that was my first time also seeing the cut you've never seen or the version you've never seen or whatever it's called. And yeah, same thing. Different opinion on the crab walk, but we can get to that. (laughs) But I feel that it is to the horror genre what 2001 is to science fiction. Like there's before The Exorcist and then there's everything that came after it. Right. When you saw it on TV, did you see it on the, when they cheesily edited all the, all the swears out? I watched it on TBS or Peachtree one time and every time she swore, it was like freaking or fuzzy or, you know, uh, just so badly edited. Your mother guts fish in hell. (laughs) Oh, that's a good, yeah, perfect. That's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) It was on the decades channels. Like it was on the like retro seventies channel so it was funny i made a note of it in my mind to mention now i was watching it on the 70s channel but it was the version that came out in the year 2000 it wasn't the original 1973 cut so oh, okay. somebody somebody are you gonna write a strongly worded letter <laughs> no i i prefer that version so i was much happier uh, but i was watching to see if it was I'm like oh no no it's the new version Interesting. Just the take on the the new version. I wasn't a fan. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so the first time I saw this film, I think I was too young to really get the impact of it. I was probably 12, 13 in a friend's basement. It was, you know, one in the morning on a sleepover. And it's like, let's watch The Exorcist. And maybe it's because I was tired or just didn't get the nuance. It never freaked me out. Huh. And I think it was just maybe the shock of the crucifix scenes and mm-hmm. things like that, where it's like being a teenager is like, oh, that was that was so extreme. And haha, like it was more shock value than scare tactic. Right. At that point, it wasn't until I rewatched it in the theater, whenever the extended cut got released, that 2000? 2000. Okay. So I was in university then and they were doing like a midnight screening of it. And so we went and watched it and that's when it got me. Like there were certain things that just creeped me out. The 5.1 sound, the immersion in this dark audience with the big screen, just it creeped me out. It freaked me out. I wouldn't say I was like as unsettled that I couldn't sleep at night. You know, as in university, I'd seen a ton of horror by that point, but I appreciated the film a lot more for what it was. The next time I watched it, I was in Taiwan and I wanted to show Louise. So that version was the original and not having the crab walk and a couple of other things. I was like, oh, this it's different. And some things were missing, but it felt like a much tighter film. Oh, okay. And quicker. Like the first doctor visit, it just slows it down. And I, I preferred the original with some of the stuff removed. Okay. And then rewatching it this time, watching the extended cut, I actually had both versions. And so I think I spent too much time kind of like comparing the two. So I never got that immersed. So I, I was watching, like, I don't really remember this scene. Was this in the original? And I, I like flip over to that one and be like, oh. oh no, this was, this is an add on. And it just took me out of the film. I was too analytical, I guess. Right. So I still liked it. It's still good. It still holds up, but I do prefer the original cut, not the extended cut, just for a few little things that we'll talk about later. Right. Okay. We're going to get to our first category, the Tropes Hall of Shame, and I'm going to start us off. So the first thing, it's the Ouija board. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I meant to look up when the Ouija board was created. It seems like a like a Parker Brothers in 1950s, 60s kind of thing, for sure. Yeah, so I don't know how often it was in horror films at that time, but... This is the one that uh, actually put Ouija board on the map. Oh, So when Exorcist came out, because I did some research about this uh, because I was 
going to film a Ouija board movie around Halloween. And this particular one, the Ouija board was actually worried that it was going to cause them problems with sales, but it actually skyrocketed. This movie is what made Ouija board a household name. It's like, this is the one. Incidentally, I just found people were talking to boards. It was common by 1886. The first Ouija board was created in 1890 in Baltimore, Maryland. Oh. Yeah, by a medium and spiritualist Helen Peters Noseworthy. So yeah, they've been around for a long, long time. But I knew I read that when this movie came out, it was like an advertisement for it. It was That's when it became the the board game in the house. And then people still there's still that negative mm-hmm. vibe. People talk about it. It sold at Toys R Us, but people don't want to purchase them. You can't throw out a Ouija board. No. You have to give it to somebody else. And you have to close it off. You have to close it off. The demon has access all the time. That's right. You can't leave it open. All these little rules that have come around. Yeah, It's a board game. Like a front door in a sketchy neighborhood. You can't leave it open. Monopoly has caused more problems than Ouija board. That's right. Or risk. (laughs) (laughs) Torn up friendships. I have lost friendships over risk. And I don't regret a single moment of it. (laughs) Interesting. But yeah, we just see it so often now where at the beginning they're playing around with it. And, you know, that's what accidentally let the demons in. I guess this one, the demon was already communicating with her on the Ouija board. It wasn't like they were just playing around. Captain Howdy or whatever. Captain Howdy. Captain Howdy, yeah. So it's it's not like this was the initiating incident to bring the demon in, but it's still, we see it so often with the, I'm just going to talk to a demon on the Ouija board. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one was just, you know, the noise in the attic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's rats up there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no rats. No rats. <laughs> and that's one of my lines. I'll get to that one. <laughs> oh, okay. So those are my two. Mark, why don't you give us a couple of yours? Well, staying with the attic theme, I love how we're dealing with a movie that is firmly set in, at the time, modern time, 1973. And she goes into the attic with a candle and <laughs> like flashlights existed, right? Like it wasn't something that came about like in 75 and they were all just... They existed. So just the candle in the creepy space was... Candles are more exciting. Candles are more exciting, <laughs> but but just, okay, we're, we're in a horror movie, so we have to have a candle scene. Right. I did appreciate, sorry to step in, but I did appreciate that, because I've brought this up in other episodes, at least they didn't do the whole, she lights the candle and the room is bright. I was watching for that and I'm like, oh, they actually handled the light of the candle properly. <laughs> <laughs> and lighting in this entire movie is a hour-long discussion on its own sometimes. So I just found it very funny that I was like, I know that they had flashlights in the 70s. But that's the one, that's the scene where she comes to that one spot and it flares up, right? So that's item number two. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Because she's up there and I cannot speak for everybody. I'd like to think that I can speak for the other two of you sitting here with me. If that happened to you, if you went somewhere with a candle and it suddenly flared like a blowtorch for about three seconds, you would think something was wrong. It is clearly something either supernatural or somebody opened a gas line or something is wrong. So it flares at that exact moment. She gets scared. Chris gets scared. And then her butler comes up and that's when he says a line and won't step on your thing. And then the trope is that she instantly forgets that this otherworldly thing just happened. Like, she was nearly, like, burned, scorched. Her house burned down. <laughs> oh, so odd. And she kept holding the candle. Like, I would have dropped it and been like, I'm out of here. <laughs> but if you watch that scene again, the next conversation that she has is, 
it's nice. It's even. Yeah. There's not anything freaky about it. Her, 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 her timbre, her tone is absolutely perfect. And she just goes to having a casual conversation. I would be running out of that building. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, There's a gas leak. Let's get out. There is something horrible going on here, but and it's the kind of thing that you see in a lot of like something that has no explanation in the moment happens. The character experiences it, and then they just go on with the rest of their lives. Like right. maybe they'll even mention like, oh, this weird thing just happened. She doesn't even do that. Yeah. Like, does Carl see it suddenly? go up like he's right there he's standing at the stairs I, I don't know I don't know either I don't know yeah we find that I I made mention of that in another movie once where how they deal with drinking and how the guy looks like he's slammed and then something will happen and they instantly sober up and they're right. able to function and shoot straight and run and do whatever and adrenaline sobriety if you've been drinking all day long you are not able to fight I'm sorry <laughs> it just doesn't happen <laughs> Chad, what do you got for tropes? For tropes, uh, well, you got my Ouija board one. And the other one I, I didn't like is, um, well, just the constant denial of the exorcism. So I don't know if this is a trope now or if it has become one over over years with other exorcism movies that I've watched and things. It's the, the tr- Oh, we don't do them anymore. We can't do them. Um, no, it has to be a serious event when he goes and sees her when she's sitting on the bed and the drawer opens and closes and weird stuff is happening and she looks the way she does i would think you'd be let's get this kid an exorcism like <laughs> i just love like the holy water test yeah yes. he uses regular she's water faking. And he's like, she's faking she's it faking. despite the look of her face and the supernatural things it's like yeah this doesn't the require puke, an exorcism. everything happens this this first time and he's just like, nope, nope. Well, you know, I tested her with the water and it just didn't pan out. It's just like, dude, she's like, <laughs> they have her tethered to the bed because she's so violent and you're questioning this. I, I don't understand. So that was a big one for me. I think it's difficult to also measure the tropes in a movie like this, because unless you have an in-depth knowledge of this kind of movie and when they came out, it invented a lot of the tropes that we now kind of look at that we in call subsequent exorcism movies. Yes. Right? But I appreciated the fact that they were trying to, it almost felt like for the first half of the movie, they're trying to make it look like maybe something else is going on or like I right. could understand like the kind of crisis of faith that was going on. But it, yeah, you're right. It just wasn't sold very yeah. well at all. They give her Ridlin. And they're like, it's a brain lesion that's causing scarring. If we get that brain change. lesion out of there, she'll be fine. So they scan her, nothing happened and they don't find anything. Uh, my final trope is the priest who questions his faith. And then finds it through this trial and tribulation. It almost didn't even feel necessary. It added characterization for Karis, but I felt that his struggle or his dealing with his mom was more impactful on who he was and his guilt than the actual like questioning the faith, wanting to leave the priesthood and getting pulled back in by, by this event. So you, you, you've touched on something here by mentioning the character by name. And I have to take issue with it because... His last name is the exact same as my stepfather's last name. And I refuse to accept Karis as the proper pronunciation of that name. Even when they're saying it, even I think when he says it at one point in the movie and he says Karis, I'm like, it's Karaz. It's obviously Karaz, but I can let it go. But I'm just saying that that's one of those things that just sticks with me because I am built into the fact that that's not the proper pronunciation of that name. And I mean, I think Father Karaz is supposed to be 
it's supposed to be Greek or yeah. Italian. Greek. Greek. He speaks yeah, Greek, Greek, with speaks Greek with his mother. And so I'm like, okay, so it's slightly different than my Ukrainian stepfather, but the spelling is the exact same. And it's still pronounced Karaz at some points in the movie. So oh, I never caught that. That's yeah, funny. at least twice it's pronounced Karaz instead mm-hmm. of Karis. So that's where my issue comes from. Uh, and do you have another trope? I do have one more, and that is the use of the screen shake, where the camera shakes and everybody on screen reacts as if something is happening. Very popular oh, in Star Trek. Star Trek. Because in this one, they went a little bit farther, where they do screen shake and people are falling around, and like somebody, one of the people off screen, like pushes a lamp over just to make it look like something. But again, and you can find the, you, like, just like they do with Star Trek, where they do like where they steady the shot just to make everybody look silly. There is that for the exorcist as well. And you can see where the, like they're falling around. And I figured by this point, like I'm not asking them to get the, an entire fake room up on a gimbal, but I figured (laughs) that there's probably other ways that they could have handled it at this point, as opposed to just shaking the camera really hard and then having everybody go, whoa. (laughs) Right. Yeah, because they, they put the bed on a bowling ball to have it, like, rotating around. So they could have done something with the with the set. Well, maybe they run out of money at that time. They did go three times over budget, right? They did. So they did. I, I don't know. Maybe the first set was built on a gimbal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the gimbal sunk into the ocean like the set of Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to our next category, which are our one-liners. Mark, why don't you kick us off? Even the first time that I watched this movie, the one that stuck with me the most, and this is a serious movie with serious things happening, but when she says it's an excellent day for an exorcism, and then he comes and he sits down and the drawer opens and he just kind of smiles at her. He's like, did you do that? Who the hell else was going to do it? (laughs) (laughs) Like if you're going on the assumption that this is an actual possessed person who is possessing some kind of telekinetic powers, and he just says it in such a playful way, it makes me laugh every time. Where Mm. did you do that? Like, oh, you, you little Dickens, little (laughs) scamp, you. (laughs) Do it again. Yeah, yeah, do it again, and then and then she refuses, and then it gets serious again. But just the just playful banter. Even just watching it last night, it's just like the way he delivers the line is out of character and out of context. But I also really enjoy it because he's almost kind of playing with her Mm -hmm. at that point and while she's also playing with him so yeah yeah my next line is when lieutenant kinnerman is talking to chris and this is later on in the movie and he's putting his coat on and he's putting his hat on and chris is like would you like another cup of coffee and he's like please (laughs) so first of all the fact that he's like putting his stuff on and she offers this so I don't even know why that's in there because he's obviously getting ready to go. But if you take a look at Ellen Bernstein's face when he says, please, and she's just like, oh, hell. Now I got to make it. Now I got to make it. This conversation's going to continue on. So I don't know if it's just the way that it was shot or the way that the actors deliver the lines, but you've never seen anybody who wanted to make a cup of coffee for a detective or whatever less than what Chris, <laughs> Chris wants at that moment. She's like, oh, why did I even ask that question? Yeah. Like, it's just, it was just polite. Yeah, it was a polite thing. It was like, oh, please. Like, there's no preamble. Would you like a cup of coffee? Please. The guy's out the door. He's not going to have coffee. He's reaching for the handle in the scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's great. All right. Uh, Chad, do you have any? Well, there were so many in this film, that like obvious ones, but actually one of the funnier ones I thought was in the doctor's office when he comes in and says, has she ever used expletives and... And he, and, uh, she's like, no, no, she doesn't, she doesn't use those. She's like, really? It's like, cause she just said a whole line of them in there to Unleashed me. Unleashed a torrent yeah. of them. And she, oh, what did she say? And I just thought this was hilarious. She's like, well, her vocabulary was quite extensive. 
<laughs> That's what he said. Keep your fingers away from my cunt or something like that is what she says to him. And I just thought that was like, well, her vocabulary is quite extensive. I just thought that was hilarious. And <laughs> I mean, he's dealing with this kid that is just like ripped into him and has these like weird mood changes throughout the whole examination. And he's just like, well, you know, has she ever sworn before? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you have another? Yeah. And then I have the one where she's in a room and uh, she just repeats it over and over. And it's just so disturbing. It's like, let Jesus fuck you with the cross. The crucifix scene. And it just over and over and over again. It's, it's still very disturbing, even uh, like it's such an old film and, and it was done so long ago. I'm so surprised that mm-hmm. that was yeah, okay. Yeah. Right? And particular shout out to Linda Blair in that scene because the expression on her face is one like she doesn't want to be doing that. Yes. And she has no control and she is terrified. Yeah. yeah. And the audio in that scene, I was actually watching this on my computer with my headphones on mm-hmm. and just when she stabs the crucifix yeah. in and the, uh, just the sound effects at that moment were just the intense. blood and the sound effects and everything that it comes up in the shots and then comes down. And it, the whole thing is, is very disturbing, but that line, especially in the seventies, like the church still had some power. Like, I mean, to come in there and have that line being said over and over and over again, in that kind of a scene, I was just still very taken aback by it. Yeah, it'll always be shocking. Mm-hmm. For me, my one-liners bordered more on the humor side of it because there were the, the big ones, the big yeah, ones yeah. in that. And so my first one was around the attic when they're in the kitchen in the morning and Ellen Burstyn is like, you know, hey, Carl, we have rats. And he's like, there's no rats, but the attic is clean. She's like, all right, then we've got clean rats. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I liked her quick little delivery of that. Yeah. And then the next one was when Burke Dennings is at the party and he's sitting there and he's talking. He's like, there seems to be an alien pubic hair in my drink. <laughs> <laughs> that character. All of his scenes were great. <laughs> it was just like, and nobody reacts. They all just sit there. Yeah, like, they're just like, oh, that's They him. have all clearly been through this before with this particular gentleman. Yeah. yeah. Chad, do you want to give us one more of yours? The last one I had, of course, the most famous one. And this one I really had a hard time taking seriously because I had just rewatched This Is The End about two months ago. Yep. And so the power of Christ compels you. I was... <laughs> Although it's a serious scene and it's at the climax and everything's, I was laughing. And every time they say, is it, is it compelling? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Jonah Hill's delivery. I was losing. I was like, this is not where my mind should be going. But it went there every time. And all I could picture was Dr. Evil. Yeah, Dr. Yeah, Evil. That's every time. I need a young priest. He's an old, old priest. <laughs> Sick <laughs> as a dog. Parodied now. so much since the last time I had watched it that it, all those little things just kept slipping in. And it was hard to really take it seriously like I did when I was so young watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. This time, all those little things. Yeah, it definitely in. changed the tone because even I, the first time watching it, was like, oh, that's such an intense moment. Yes, and, yeah. But as soon as the power of Christ compels you and they just kept doing it and I was, uh, yeah, no, lost it for me. <laughs> Where it's ruined by its own success and iconography for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Mark, what else do you have? I've got not so much the line itself. It had been parodied a little bit, but when... Father Cross sits down and what an excellent day for an exorcism, mostly from the voice actress Mercedes McCambridge's delivery of it, because you'd heard her shrieking and saying scary things and up to that point. But that was the first really calm line. That was the first one where you're actually addressing the demon itself and you're having a conversation. And just the difference between Reagan's voice and the demon's voice is noticeable. And 
coming from a very small but not insequential voice acting background, the audio and how well it matches with her mouth mm-hmm. the whole time, like for the, yeah. for the whole movie, I'm just kind of blanketing it there, is absolutely spot. Like I could believe that they just recorded her saying that and then just fiddled with the dials and not got a proper voice actress. And another one closer to a funnier line when... The mother, Chris, comes in at one point and is describing to her assistant the movie that she's making at that point. And also, just a side note, who, even then or now, who makes a movie not having to do with politics in Georgetown? <laughs> not an ideal shooting location. Anyway, sorry, sidetrack. But when she says that the movie is kind of like the Disney version of the Ho Chi Minh story. And all I can think of, is, especially like Disney in the 70s, like I'm thinking of Disney in the 70s right now. So, right, like pure as the driven snow Disney. And all I think of when I hear that line is, I really want to see that. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want it to be under the touchstone banner or anything. I want to see the Disney uh, version. I want to see the Disney version of the Ho Chi Minh story. Minh what would story? that be like in 1973? <laughs> but then that also makes me question even more, what the hell are they shooting? What is the nature, like the full nature of the movie that they're seem to be shooting here in Georgetown. Well, and I didn't know where to put this one, so I just have question marks, but it's around the film. When she's getting out of the trailer and they're discussing, like, what's my motivation about it? She's like, why is the building being torn down? And the guy's like, the writer's in Paris. Do you want us to fly him back and ask him? And I was like, okay, so they're protesting the building being torn down, but then during the protest, they're talking about the National Guard has shown up Mm -hmm. and the deaths have to stop. Mm, And they're talking about their right to an education. I'm like, so is this, like, a comment on the Kent State murders? Is it something else? But, like, how is a protest about a building being torn down at a university turning into the National Guard have to show up and kill people. I have no idea what she was filming. Like I've no I, like I've watched that movie twice in the last week just randomly last night plus watching it for this and last night I made an effort trying to figure out what it is that she's filming and what the kind of through line is on the plot because I cannot figure it out for the life of me. And they show that one scene that she's working on and she goes through the crowd and then she gets up there with her bullhorn and starts and I can't even hear what she says in her bullhorn for the first little bit. Nope. And then finally it starts to come up and then they're like, cut, print, that's a wrap. And it's like, what? That's the worst take ever. The audio's not there. There's... It's like, why would they keep that? Are you shooting B-roll right now? <laughs> Different angles. Is there going to be a voiceover in the studio? What's happening? Like, yeah, no, I didn't, uh, I didn't particularly... <laughs> know what the heck movie they were filming there yeah like they're they're obviously building her up as this famous actress and i think that they do a great job of that yeah then you have to give this famous actress something to work with for us the audience if we're going to be pondering this movie within a movie and how important it is to her to the point where she's uprooted her family and moved to this yeah a different scene maybe i don't know like they could have had something where it really shows her like acting chops on set and why she's so popular. I know the detective does ask for her autograph in kind of a way to, you know, appease her and make sure that she'll still talk to him. But it, it does also support the fact that she is famous and people know who she is. Mm. That. But yeah, the movie she's doing, who knows? And my last line sort of builds on your talk about like the first time that we hear the demon talking and just being more casual than extreme. So when Karis walks in and he's like, I'm here to help you. And the demon's like, well, you might loosen these straps then. Right, yeah. <laughs> just, just such a playful little casual mm-hmm. line. Yeah. Like, I kind of like the wit of this demon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that whole scene of just like the banter because there's that, what an excellent day for an exorcism. Oh, would you like that? And yeah. did you do that? And yeah. The, it, It'll bring us close together. Like she, it's, it's very, yeah, it is very playful mm-hmm. and, and fun at times. And then, yeah, I mean, you see the dark, side of it 
later, but yeah, she definitely likes to play around with them. Okay, we're going to move into what doesn't hold up. Chad, give us yours. All right, so I'm just going to do two here, but they're kind of together. There are certain scenes where I thought the blood worked and others where I thought it didn't. I had mentioned that I liked the spider walk. I liked the walk itself, but the blood coming out of her mouth, I thought, didn't really work. Mm -hmm. And it didn't look like it had a very pale look to it. It didn't look like blood was coming out of her mouth. So that one, and then her head spinning around, I could tell now, like when I watched it first, I thought that was super freaky, but now I can, you know, it's a doll and and everything. So that illusion is just kind of gone. Yeah. It was so iconic when you saw it the first time. Yeah. And they used it again in so many parodies when they parried the exorcist. What's that, that one that first parodied the exorcist and the head spun around. I can't remember. Scary movie. Yeah. Scary movie is the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. Yeah, Probably that one. It's the only one of the, that series I saw was the first one. So, but yeah, the head spinning around and okay. Yeah. Uh, Mark, what do you have? The first one that I've got is everything about the hospital. Everything. Um, oh. Like where the mother's being kept? Or no, like Reagan's visits? No, Reagan's visits. So there's what, three visits over the course of the movie, I think. And now maybe this is just me talking in a post-COVID world, but even just the waiting room, like there's the one scene with the waiting room and there's the two boys who are just roughhousing and whatever. And I'm like, every single one of those chairs is so unsanitary. <laughs> They're just like patent leather button chairs that are just uncomfortable to get in and out of. And if somebody vomits or something like this is a waiting room in a hospital, like something nasty is going to happen to this furniture at some point. And I also look at things like there's a lot of soft curtains everywhere and just all these things that you wouldn't find in a hospital anymore now that cleanliness is paramount more than ever. And just the chain smoking, just like the doctors, just like, hey, you need a cigarette? Hey, what's going on? Like, like it just goes on constantly. And obviously this is looking at it through 50-year-old, yeah. 50-year-old glasses, but it has become so abhorrent to think of those things happening in a hospital that it completely takes me out of it and right. doesn't hold up at all. And it's I was born only shortly after this movie was made. Like I've, I've seen hospitals back in the early 80s. I still don't remember them being quite so smoky and with like all this nice squishy furniture everywhere and stuff so yeah yeah. it's a sign of the times but it's so in your face that it takes me out of it i thought they always had like a smoking room that you could go to like it wasn't just all over the hallways and in every examination i don't know but i thought there was i know like in hollywood they always had hey i had a kid and they had like a cigar room for the guys because the guys weren't allowed in the delivery room at that time. So they would be out with the family and stuff, smoking cigars and having champagne in the hospital. And I know they don't do that anymore. Yeah. But. And just even open flame, like cigarettes. Like I was watching Christine just the other night. Oh yeah. And there's a scene, it's like Thanksgiving, he goes to visit his friend and there's like lit candles on the bedside of this guy, guy in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> like there's an oxygen pump like right there. You yeah. can see this, right? All I mean, these candles, There's right? so many questions about why this guy in a hospital has candles lit for a Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. <laughs> But yeah, open flame and fire just doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Did you recognize the lighting of those candles in Christine? Did you see if it illuminated the entire room? Or it, it was daytime in a well-lit hospital okay. room, so yeah. maybe those I, candles I can't were remember. Room. I was yeah. just curious if you picked up on it at all. I actually have two doesn't hold up. This one, I don't know if it's that it doesn't hold up, but it took me right out of the movie. It's when the priest walks by and he sees the statue of Mary with like the cone-shaped breasts and the like, I don't know, animal penis coming through the crotch area right, or something the, like the clay ad add-ons <laughs> that, yeah <laughs> like, yeah i laughed 
so hard. <laughs> it's the coloring. If, if, they tried is, to, yeah. if they had tried to keep it like more neutral, but I, I think the coloring is supposed to tie back to her, Regan playing with the with the clay. But yeah, well, and her drawings, right? Is right. it doesn't yeah. the color have something to do with her drawings yeah. and stuff? But his facial expression too, when he sees it, was laughable. <laughs> like when he walks in, he's just ooh, it was so that, cheap. And that's a great. It's a oneer, right? Like that whole shot is a oneer from the moment that he comes in the door carrying yeah. those two yeah. things, and, and so it's this fantastic shot. And, and the expression on his face, I'm like, that was the best one that you could have ended <laughs> that, up. Yeah. Did you yeah. really just know want to shoot that shot again, William Friedkin? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's one and done. We're just <laughs> yeah, we don't want to waste any more time. Let's just go, go, go. Yeah. If I'd been drinking something, it would have been spat out on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so bad. Um, and my other one is it has to do with the extended cut and it's the flashing of the demon face in the original version. We get it one time and that's during Karis's nightmare. But in this one, it's at the hospital, the first visit before she snaps at the, yep. the attendant. And then yeah. there's a second one later. And then there's also in the kitchen when on the stove, on the stove hood, on the uh, stove the hood, hood. Like yeah. that's not in the original cut that's yeah. added as well. You didn't like that. It just, I liked those. I loved them. See, and I took it to be like, something scary's gonna happen. Like we didn't need the cue. Uh, it, it felt like it had it because with the demon flash and then like, oh, and then the demon's presence comes out later. I think yeah. it'd have been, it would have felt better if it was just like, we experienced it the way the characters do like it just flares up in our viewing it's difficult because we can look at this again with the the benefit of hindsight for one i don't think that they overused it they definitely could have it. like they yeah. went from one time to three right like not the end of the world and they were quick too it wasn't like they yeah. they hovered on them it was like a subliminal little yeah, flash like you, right? you, so. you blink and you miss it and and i could see that being a lot more scary and intimidating even if it's just once when you're in a theater and it's right. just taking up one frame of film Right. Where it just pops up Tyler Dirt and Gorilla style. And yeah. you're like, did I just see that? And you start to question yourself. And then that kind yeah. of builds the mythos around the story. And now we can just be like, now that face is like on the cover of some of the extended edition. Right box art and I get it but I appreciated the fact like it's almost like a rhyming couplet in Shakespeare like you know that something bad is about to happen once right that right. happens I also liked when they did it they didn't really use audio to cue it right so right. it wasn't a jump scare and it wasn't like and, oh there's a face on the stove it was very quietly done and like you said mark if you blink you missed it and so i i really like that and there's a scene in the exorcism as well where she turns and you see almost half of her face becoming yes bazuzu is that bazuzu uh, yeah Yeah. and i thought that was really well done i i like that um so i didn't mind the the flashes but uh but hey, we're all entitled to our opinion. Yep. <laughs> As the one person at this table who didn't appreciate the extended cut versus the original, you can be wrong. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, statistically speaking, here you are using this small sample size. <laughs> Everyone's entitled to opinions, even wrong ones. That's right. Did anyone else have another din age? I think Mark. I do have one more. And that is the scene with the hypnotist where she's sitting there and she's got her hand up. Like, first of all, don't be in crotchal grabbing range of a person who's apparently possessed and or going through a psychotic episode. Just just don't do it. So Regan grabs the, the man's crotch. And the part that for me doesn't hold up is the snorry cam on the hypnotist as he's falling backwards. Like, oh, like oh. the snorry cam is like the follow cam that's yeah. always located like right in 
in front of of the actor's face and so it's like there and then it's like as as he's going backwards ah like you don't have snorri cam anywhere else in this entire movie why are you using it there why are you doing it on that stupid expression yeah it was too comedic yeah that's that's funny because i had actually totally just put that scene out of my mind like I hadn't really I think at that time I was doing laundry I was looking around and stuff and then I was like okay whatever (laughs) because his fall was very cheesily done Mm -hmm. and yeah no I agree up to that point falling had already happened in that movie and attacks and those kinds of things that already happened and they were all kind of shot very similarly and then it's like Snorri Cam was still relatively new in popular culture at that time. So maybe someone was just like on set, like, hey, Billy Freakin, use this for a second. Oh, let me try this toy. No, nah, I didn't like it. We're going to keep it in the movie, but I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, we're now going to move into our most gratuitous scene. Uh, Mark, why don't you start us off on this one? So despite what I just said about in really enjoying the extended cut, and also despite what Chad's been talking about, yeah. I cannot stand the crab walk scene. Cannot stand. I know that they tried to shoot it for the original one and it didn't hold up and they could see the wires and such. Yeah. And it, So was it well done, in, especially in the, in the remade one? Yes, absolutely. And, and having watched like how they do that kind of document. Right. I really do appreciate the scene for what it is, but I don't think it holds up. I, I think at that point, we've already established that this particular character is right scary and nasty and can do evil things. It just seemed over the top to be all like, well, kind of beating a dead horse kind of thing. right? Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, it's like, it, it's established that, but is it impressive to watch? Sure. Is it necessary and gratuitous to the point where, and, and as you said, the blood, that is the worst blood, I think, in the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just looks like she had, like, eaten, like, a red Mr. Freeze and then just, like, yeah. opened her mouth when she got... One of those uh, Dracula capsules that yeah. you get yeah. at the dollar store, and you, and she just took a mouthful of those, and it all just kind of leaked out. Yeah. No, that blood is horrible. Yeah, it is. Well, and with that scene, if we're talking about, like, proof that Reagan is possessed or something's going on, I found the scene where she comes down to the party and just says, you're going to die up there. And then urinates on the carpet. Far more unsettling yes. than the crab walk oh, yes. or the spider yeah. walk. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's my first one. And the second one, although it has become just as iconic as everything else, again, like how do you establish the tropes in the movie that invented the tropes? Knowing what I know about the human body, how do you projectile vomit that far, that forceful, where it's like Karaz noticeably like goes back a little bit? And I, and I understand the reason why. I know the story behind that scene, yeah. but yeah. it is just such terrible vomit i have never seen vomit like that in my entire life i I have vomited a few times and i have seen vomit a few times being a father and person who also hung out with people who are really good at vomiting it's never looked like that ever and it like you notice the vomit that's on regan's nightdress and it's like dried and such and it it seems to be the proper color of vomit. It's kind this of is, brownish. This and, is a very yeah. in-depth conversation about the color of vomit. Yeah. And I know that every time I watch it, I know that that scene is coming and I'm just like, well, you could have done better. Like it, it just seems, it seems gratuitous. It's, it seems excessive. I think even right. if it doesn't hit him or maybe if he's a little bit closer, it would work a whole lot better if it was just a shorter range of vomit that was a better color, that was something more natural. And then I think again, that that would have been more unsettling right. as mm. opposed to, well, there's lime green, obviously pea soup yeah like we know it's pea soup now in in, in retrospect but yeah it was just too much i saw what they were going for didn't quite hit fair enough yeah Yeah. i agree chad why don't you give some of yours so my gratuitous one was i just think the i had mentioned it before but the uh, crucifixion 
scene, the masturbation with the crucifixion scene was, I think it was a well done scene, but gratuitous, like just over and over and over and over again. So it just really hammers home. So I just thought just for the violence sake of it, that's why I put this in here. I didn't think it needed to be cut. I didn't think it was overdone. I just thought it was excessively violent for the time. And that's why it made the cut for me for most gratuitous. The vomit, I'd, I'd have to agree with watching it now. I remember watching it as a kid. I thought it was disgusting and, and didn't really think about it that much. But then watching it now, yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Mark. It does fly very far. But I did like when she turns her head and it just kind of seeps out um, of her yeah. mouth. And just, and she's doing that. I thought that was more disturbing than the actual puke scene. Mm -hmm. But mine, going back, is yeah, the masturbation scene, it still really messes me up every time, every time that scene comes on. And that was mine too. Just, I was watching this movie and like, trying to like, is that gratuitous? Is that gratuitous? And then that scene came on. I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah." (laughs) Like it is, you're right. It is good. It does fit. It definitely sets a tone, but it's so extreme. Yeah. So extreme. The one thing, and my last one for gratuitous involves that scene. And it's the one, the one scene in this entire movie that right from the very beginning up until now still makes me squirm. And that is, okay, so she has stabbed herself repeatedly with a crucifix, but then she grabs her mother's head and rams it into her crotch and starts screaming, lick me, lick me. And and before I had kids and that was unsettling, it was still really unsettling to me. Like there's this this hint early on of sexuality is also part of the demon's possession, right? Where she's screaming things at the people who are in the room. But like, I think about, I think about Chris as the mother watching that happen and then just, being so stunned and then having your daughter do that to you after witnessing what you've just witnessed. Right. Would I remove it? No, but gratuitous. Yes. And I understand exactly where it comes from. And I I don't think I don't ever want to be a person who doesn't squirm at watching that that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting because I always forget about that second part of that scene. It's like the crucifix is so over the top mm-hmm. that I forget yeah. about the Ellen Burstyn being grabbed part of it. And that is just as unsettling. I And so much so than when I was watching it this time and I saw that, I was like, yeah. oh, but then it just leaves my head because the crucifix is so visceral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think really when you, when you think about that, that scene, that's, that's where you mostly stop, right? It's, it's just, the stabbing stabbing motion and her saying that stuff and then you kind of forget about that Mm. that back scene which you shouldn't because it's just as messed up as the as the front part of that scene yeah (laughs) yeah that that scene has two chapters and and a lot of people can be taken aback by the first one so much that they don't even register the second one or they're already looking away or like yeah yeah. But you don't see as much written about that. But I'm like, if I, especially if I'm a parent and I mean, we, oh, can, yeah. we can talk about it later. Like Ellen, Ellen, I personally believe in 1974, Ellen Burstyn was robbed for the best actress Oscar for all the range of things that she does in this movie. I can understand why Linda Blair didn't win, but, right. but I think that she was robbed and, and just like the horror and the expression on her face, especially when she pulls her head back and the lower part of her face yeah. is just all red. Covered and like, in blood. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Nope. Nope. I'm done, I'm, I'm done talking about that scene now. Yeah. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Mike. Thank you very much for joining us for part one of our discussion of The Exorcist. Next week, we'll be releasing part two, which will have the rest of the categories and our research that we did on the film. 
Thank you for joining us for this. We'll see you in about seven days.